Welcome back to Love's Labours Watched, your hopefully favourite bi-monthly or thereabouts pop culture podcast. Uh, we're back. It's really we exciting. And this is the third in a row of an author interview for us, isn't it? Just on a roll for that, um, guys. So if you've been listening recently, you'll know that we interviewed Emma Morgan, who is the author of A Love Story for Bewildered Girls, mm-hmm. um, a new novel about kind of young relationships. And then we also interviewed Madeline Miller, which was so exciting. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, the author of Cersei, um, which has, well, in recent news, been shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction. When we spoke to Madeline, it had been long-listed. So mm. that's really exciting news, and big congratulations to Madeline. Yeah, that. we were both uh, tweeting Madeline and tweeting on our account, being like, well done! We're so... I mean, not surprised, because everyone we've spoken to about her work and about meeting her, they've been like, oh my gosh, was it amazing to meet her? And we're saying, yes, it was absolutely fantastic. It was incredible. So, um, Well-deserved, for sure. Yeah, and then, really excitingly, this week, we spoke to another incredible female author... Beth O'Leary. Beth O'Leary, um, author of The Flat Share, which is her debut novel about a sort of unconventional living situation um, <laughs> among two Londoners um, and how that sparks a sort of, well, unconventional but very sweet romance. Yes. And it's um, the book's really taken off since it's been published last month. Yeah, in April. And you would have seen um, some stands in Waterstones, one in Waterstones Piccadilly, and mm. Jessica actually went and had a look at it. They put up um, a mock-up of the main characters, Tiffy and Leon's shared bedroom, full of their little notes and the idiosyncrasies and characteristics from the book, um, which was really cool to cool for them to do. Um, and so, as Beth does say in our interview, you know, it's been picked up quite widely kind of around the world, and there's been some really great kind of feedback and um responses to the book um uh, which we definitely share so it's really Absolutely. exciting yeah i think it's it's such a good concept and the concept i mean we do go into it slightly in the interview but mm-hmm. it's that um tiffy is this young woman who's just got out of this long-term relationship and needs somewhere to stay in london she sees this advert for a flat share with this guy leon who works night shifts so the idea is that they'll actually sleep in the same room, in the same bed, but never at the same time. And they'll never mm-hmm. even meet, in fact, because their lifestyles and their schedules are totally different. So it's sort of the perfect situation, in a way, if you can share a living space half and half, literally. Yeah. And I remember when I first read that description, being like, oh, what an interesting concept. Because as um, Beth says both in our interview and she's, you know, she said elsewhere too, like London living situations can be quite bizarre and people can be quite desperate and that seemed actually not implausible as an idea Mm -hmm. Um, and on top of that of course it allows for this really interesting relationship to blossom where they become increasingly close to one another having seen the sort of remains or dregs of each other's day and like you know a coffee cup or like um, whatever else it might be in the flat that like gives an indication of Mm. how their day is going but also they start writing little notes to one another and that kind of spirals into... Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, not to give anything away because we don't want to. Uh, that's kind of the backstory of the book. Yeah, so we had a really great chat with her about it. And just to say also, if you really don't want to know what happens in the book, we try not to spoil it. But of course, there'll be pointers and bits of discussion that reveal certain things about the book, if not the ending, which we don't reveal. No, we don't reveal the ending. But yeah, I would agree. Like, if you want to go in completely fresh, then maybe read the book first, then come back and listen to this later. Yes, absolutely. Um, and if you're anything like us, you will devour the book within a few hours. And mm-hmm. I know that that's like such a cliche to say. Yeah. I actually think we both had that experience and it's such a heartwarming, joyous, sweet and really well-written and well-told rom-com. And I think it's um, one of our friends, Emily Moran, shout out to Emily. Hi, Emily. She, she said uh, that on her Instagram account where she reviews books, she said that often she's disappointed. Like, so she has like a, a book has a really good premise, a, rom- a romantic comedy in particular. Mm-hmm. And then she's disappointed with how it plays out. And I thought that was really true. And the um, flat chair really lives up to this, like, actually really quite impressive premise. Yes. You know, it really works very well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and in the bookmark, it kind of saturated with this kind of stuff. Beth's book really does stand out. And I think that's yeah. shown in the success that it's had. And she's uh, very... Uh, she's very... Um, candid about the success of how what a surprise it is and it's um of course always very interesting for us to talk to the author of the book that we read so there definitely is another plus of having been able to chat to beth is to give some more depth to the book we both definitely really really enjoyed yeah absolutely so well without further ado i think we should um head into our interview with beth bunch of questions we want to ask and to kind of chat through with you about the book which we both really really enjoyed so yeah we were saying we, oh, we both um like in you know we both read it at slightly different times we just have the one copy and um, but each time like we both kind of just devoured it yeah. like both of us i think started reading it like on an evening and then just like stayed up to finishing it yeah like, completely obsessed oh so. yay oh that's such a yeah yeah and it's great because i mean we're always enthused about things we talk about but when we are extra enthused about things we want to talk about it makes it so much more fun definitely um so we thought we'd just start by asking i know you've um you've spoken about this before but where did the idea for the flat share come from and like what was your inspiration behind the book yeah so the the kind of the root idea and where it all kind of started was this idea of two people who share a one-bed flat that don't meet because one of them works night and that came from my own living experience so I um, had just moved in with my boyfriend who's a junior doctor um, and he was doing like lots of long runs of night shifts and it was literally like we you know like passed like shifts in the night like I would sometimes even like I'd be walking back from I was commuting to London so it's like an hour each way so I was walking back from the train station and I'd like see him go past in the car on the way to the hospital and shift and I'd be like oh there he goes (laughs) like we literally just just missed each other and um, it kind of got me thinking about this idea and and I've been like I complained to a friend of mine I was like so annoying I'd never get to see him and she was like oh he he didn't live with you he could rent his room out Um, and I just thought like what what if two strangers lived in the way that I am living at the moment? Because, yeah, there, there were loads of little things that I sort of noticed about how, you know, that Sam was kind of left around the place that gave me a clue as to how he was because we didn't get to speak that much. And I kind of thought, well, if you didn't know somebody and you started seeing all these little clues, what, what could you 
what might happen like what kind of connection could you make yeah well yeah and I mean speaking of sort of you know other living experiences other flat shares was that have there been any other experiences of you living with other people that have kind of inspired you as well like really good things about living with people or really bad things about living with people yeah, I mean, so definitely some of the flat that I, so before I moved out of London, um, I lived with a really close friend of mine, and um, we, were, we were renting in, um, in Stockwell, actually, and um, our flat, I mean, it was mainly our fault in, in defence of, like, Stockwell, which I actually became very fond of and really loved, but um, we just chose this flat, we were so clueless, um, and, like, we sort of, like, the estate agent said, oh, you, you know, well, yeah, we'll definitely get an oven installed within two weeks to move in oh, no. and like, when we actually got there what we had was like this microwave oven balance on a bank on top of the fridge <laughs> which meant that like removing a pizza was sort of like an acrobatic art we had this house rule that you had to stand on a chair to get anything out of the oven because otherwise you were taking it out at, like above head height wow. but like obviously after a while you just get really good and you can't be bothered to go and get the chair <laughs> oh. we'd be like pulling pizzas out of the oven and sort of like arms fully stretched above your head oh my goodness <laughs> and there was sewage from the outside sense i mean i reading it 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 never flagged up to me that this is an unusual thing to happen the kind of arguments tiffy was making like well i need something and it's good enough definitely and so so you living in stockwell kind of inspired the stockwell location of the actual yeah um, yeah it was sort of like a fun nod i think um and there's a few other little things in there which is for my old flatmate like the um in the in the first page of the book she talks about mushrooms growing behind the toilet and that's something that we had in our flat and I literally just put that in of like yeah anyone who sh- who's, who shared a flat and or lived in a flat in London um but the other thing that we really enjoyed about the book is you obviously alternate narrators between Leon and Tiffy and both narrative voices are like very clearly delineated and are very engaging and what was it like developing these two different voices and obviously the two different characters as well because they're both you know have equal standing in the book in terms of you becoming invested in them and like learning their backstories and yeah so what, what was that process like? Yeah, so the voices, you're right, they, they speak very differently, I guess, and, and like, they, they read differently. Um, and that sort of stems from their characters. But I think that the way that um, the, the concept of the novel, the, the setup just sort of invited there being two very different people, because yeah. it's sort of that idea of, you know, night and day. And so I, I knew I wanted one of them to be much more outgoing than the other, and, and so Tiffy is a very outgoing character, whereas Leon's a bit more withdrawn and introverted. Um, and then I kind of hit on the way that Leon speaks, so he sort of talks in short sentences and kind of misses off pronouns, and um, it's almost a bit more like note form, a bit like how you might text. Mm. Um, and once I hit on that, it felt like I, I was like, oh yeah, I've got him now, because that's how, it, how he thinks, you know, he chooses his words carefully so he doesn't use as many words whereas Tiffy who's a really chatty person like she's I mean I always wrote her chapters a lot faster because she 
just flies through, you know, like mm. she would just pick up the phone to somebody and have a chat for pages and pages. I actually had to cut a lot of this because she was so chatty. Um, whereas, you know, Leon's chapters, because he's a more thoughtful character, his style just sort of, yeah, reflected that, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, that definitely makes sense. And I think it was really interesting listening to Leon in particular because his, though, I think it's quite difficult to write that kind of character in a way that doesn't seem quite you know, hard to engage with. Um, you know, someone like Tiffy, you see a lot of the kind of the, the chatty, outgoing, long-form um, young woman versus Leon, who writes, yes, as you say, in these note forms. And I think it actually was a really interesting... I remember kind of starting to read a section and being like, oh, it's kind of shorter. Oh, OK. And you get such a great sense of who Leon is. And I think it's actually really interesting as well how you when you start seeing him and Tiffy kind of start to like each other, it's quite... I know, I thought it was quite unique the way Leon spoke about her and it kind of made me more made me more engaged by him but also understand him kind of better. Oh, yeah. No, that's really good to hear. I, it does, it, I, I was worried about it because it is quite an unusual kind of way of writing um, and I did wonder if it would sort of jar too much but on the whole, people have been kind about it, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> I think it also worked insofar as he's like... Um, he doesn't have very much spare time and he's very busy and quite stressed and I feel like that's a huge Yeah, exactly, and, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I would completely agree with that. Yeah, and um, speaking of unusual ways of writing, um, one of the big draws of this book and, you know, what they've been doing in the publicity campaigns and they've been talking about is the fact that for a good half of the novel they speak in post-its um, around the flat. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a, you know, it's definitely a, a I think it's definitely a high effort way to you know put a book together because their dialogue is so fragmented and obviously the the text changes in the way it's printed in the book and that kind of thing um but it's actually really engaging and it you know but was it kind of hard to get your teeth into actually communicating that way and what do you think kind of adds to um a story such as theirs i i think it was actually easier like i found well for starters whenever i needed to cut anything like if there was a big scene that then I thought, you know what, we don't need this whole scene, I'd be like, could I put it in a post-it note? Mm. So, you know, there are moments when, like, Tiffy will convey her whole day to Leon in a post-it note. It's like, brilliant, we didn't have to see it. Like, <laughs> I actually found it a really useful narrative tool. And I guess I really wanted that so that they, they start to kind of leave each other post-it notes around the flat. And I liked the idea that the flat was such a big part of how they get to know each other. I really wanted it to all be centred around you know, that little, um, you know, those rooms. Mm. Um, and I also like, liked the, that it was slow, that way of getting to know each other, you know, like that it, you have to wait a whole day for the person to write their reply. Mm. So it naturally kind of meant that they got to know each other very gradually. Um, so that was a kind of a, an upshot, of, I guess, of the, um, of the post-it note thing as well. Um, but no, I really loved writing them. I thought it was it was, yeah, like I said, it was genuinely easier. Ah, yeah, because it's definitely something that doesn't turn up very often, and I think some writers fall afoul of having to, you know, having to change the way the text is and having to try and, you know, you know, you could imagine some editors being like, oh, we'll actually put, like, a little post-it graphic underneath the writing to make it extra obvious yeah. what's going on, you when know? when we were in the sort of, like, laying it out stage of, of the process, you know, putting it all out onto the page, like the way you see it in the book, we did sort of chat about, like, how are we going to show the post-it notes? Mm. And I think if there'd been fewer, we could have done something like having it in different fonts for mm. different, a different person. Because there's just so 
so many in the book, I think it just would have got really annoying. Yeah. Like, he would have just been like, oh, God, you know, it's just a bit of a gimmick. And so in the end, we just went for keeping it yeah. straightforward in italics. And it definitely works quite well. Definitely, yeah. And I think it's interesting what you said about the flat being such an important part of the book because it reminded me of you know the sort of it's a bit of a cliche when people are like New York was like a character in the, in the story <laughs> yeah. but in, in your book quite genuinely I feel like the flat is a character in the story and oh, plays yay. this important oh, part that's really good to hear because I really yeah I really I really wanted it to be um, at the centre of the novel because you have this idea of two people who are there um, but never at the same time um, and the, the flat even I mean I really wanted them to meet in the flat I don't want to yeah. give too much away um, about how they meet but and it, cause I, just because of that because it should be at the heart of the book but I was like oh how am I going to make that interesting you know it's just, just meeting in the flat like what are they going to just bump into each other like in the hallway um, and then I, I, I hit on where I wanted them to meet and then I was like oh <laughs> yeah. yes I can get some comedy out of that Sure. That actually was literally our next question. Like that, I thought that bit was so funny and so <laughs> yeah, enjoyable to read. Like it, it reminded me of all like the best moments in like romantic comedies. Um, like the proposal. Yeah, yeah, and like Wimbledon as well. Mm. The movie that's yeah. But I, I, I really enjoyed that, and I think you really kind of gleefully embrace like romantic comedy tropes in a way that's just like really fun to read. But the book also does deal with, you know, some serious issues too. Like you've got you know um, an emotionally abusive ex-boyfriend and and you know PTSD and you, you really do like strike a balance between these like really fun like quite frothy and like enjoyable moments and also like characters who have this like actual emotional backbone and uh, how did you go about like striking that balance and um, you know embracing those romantic comedy tropes but also yeah also bringing in like that sense of realism it's, that's a really good question because I it's not what I set out to do. Oh, really? I, I set out to write a romantic comedy and the serious themes that are kind of touched on, they they just sort of happened as I got to know the characters better. I'm a, I'm a very, like, character-led writer, if you know what I mean. Like, mm. I'm not... You know, some people are, like, all about plot. I'm, I'm definitely all about sort of letting my characters lead, if that makes sense. Mm. And once I've got to know them really well, I kind of... They, they almost feel like they take over the story, which sounds incredibly, like, weird, but that is sort of how it feels. And once I I was getting to know them, I, I knew I wanted to write a love story that had sort of people that felt really realistic and weren't idealised. And, you know, though it was very much a romantic comedy, I wanted it to be happening to people that just felt like they, that they're not different from you, they're just like you, um, and they're still getting this, like, fun romance of their own Um, and I guess just like by necessity like they had issues that they were dealing with because I wanted to feel like I was writing about real people so I kind of once I started asking questions and going like well why would Tiffy be so keen to find a flat so quickly what's she trying to get away from like Mm. what why does she need to leave her current you know living with her this other guy why does she need to leave so quickly and then those questions just sort of spiralled into all of this serious stuff Mm. (laughs) I was kind of worried about it initially I was like oh god I've accidentally written a rom-com with loads of serious stuff (laughs) (laughs) Um, but now you know it seems I I feel like it's part hopefully part of its strength yeah I think it um also is handled very well there are in some ways I think it is very difficult to bring these issues in especially when you're going to be have readers who will who will sympathize and empathize and you know have it have have it have happened to them and I think it's you know it struck quite a good chord and blend between 
you know, Tippy having these very serious moments of emotional crisis, and then the support that she has from her friends and from Leon in some many ways too. So I think that kind of makes it a good blend, doesn't it? Instead of it just being like... And it has been really, uh, like, genuinely very moving. Like, since the book has published, I have had women reaching out to me and kind of saying, you know, like, I've had, you know, I've had my own fair share of Justin's or whatever it might Mm -hmm. be, and it's always become, like, a shorthand for Justin's the name of Sydney's ex-boyfriend. If it's become almost a shorthand for for saying, you know, I've been in an emotionally abusive relationship of of some kind. Mm. And it's, I I love the fact that it's starting conversations about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, as you say, like it, it allows you to like put yourself in the um, shoes of the characters far more by having them have, you know, not perfect lives by any means and have, you know, stuff going on, um, behind the scenes as well and I think that yeah I think that's really important Mm. and kind of moving on on that theme um I well there I expected the book to slightly have a different format than it did um so you know we kind of see Tiffy and Leon's relationship slightly spoilery for anybody listening who doesn't want to be spoiled at all but it's not too spoilery that you know the relationship begins kind of you know midway through the novel and we see more than just like a happy ending of them maybe finally meeting but something different and I think it's quite it was unexpected for me I kind of thought that the 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 post-it format would stay for longer um and you know instead of it just being a happy ending and now you now see them starting to work through intimacy issues and, you know, getting past, you know, the sort of Leon works nights and Tiffy works in the day kind of thing. Um, was it kind of important to you that you have that relationship begin in the book? Or was it sort of a, a thing that kind of kind of organically became part of it, like their kind of, you know, back histories of emotional, you know, difficulty and stuff? Yeah, I, I always knew they weren't going to meet at the end. Um, and... I wonder if maybe they met earlier just because I was so keen for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> I reckon I probably, when I initially found out, I probably would have had the meeting sort of slightly later, but I definitely did want to show um, some of their relationship developing just mm. because I think there was so much joy to be had in that and I wanted yeah. to write it. Um, but I I really wanted them to get, you know, to, to bump into each other. I wanted them to meet. And sometimes, you know, when you were having one of those days where the words just aren't coming and yeah, I write. I always write chronologically. I, mm. I start at the beginning and I work through, and I don't let myself skip ahead. Yeah. So I would never let myself write that scene until I got there. So I was like, right, just come on, you, just, you want them to meet? Just like keep, keep going, <laughs> then you can write that scene. Yeah, definitely. So it's a motivator, but also it's a, a reason for you to. It's a motivator, but also your characters drive it. You know, like I'm sure while you're writing it's sort of like oh I can feel that Tiffany and Leon like would love to meet each other now and they naturally get more and more curious and I guess you can't keep that from the reader or from them either because inevitably like they would have found a way to meet had you yeah. not made it happen <laughs> it's like I think if I'd stretched it much longer you might have got that feeling of like yeah yeah definitely yeah I think it was a nice balance because it's Mm. like when you're watching you know a long-running tv series and they've got like a sort of will they won't they romance Mm. and it's really fun for a bit and then after a while you're like okay right like it's ridiculous you know like and I think um reading the book I definitely had that like oh they're gonna meet they're gonna meet and then they didn't but that was all like building up you know the the tension in a really fun and like good way and then I really enjoyed seeing what happened like sort of after Mm -hmm. the traditional happy ending as it were and and again, it comes back to what we were saying about them feeling like grounded characters in that just because they found one another doesn't mean that like everything's tied up in a happy yeah, way. Um, yeah, it's not going to just be easy now, necessarily. 
Yeah, and so obviously this is your de- debut novel, which has been like hugely successful. You know, you've been a Sunday Times um, bestseller, which is so exciting. Um, congratulations <laughs> on that. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. And what's it been like kind of seeing this original idea that you had, um, you know, go from being this this brainwave to being a, an actual book on the shelf? Like what's, because we've interviewed a few debut no- mm-hmm. novelists and I just thought that's such a interesting transformation. Yeah, it's so weird. There's, there's, it's like, obviously, you dream of it happening, um, but you don't, like, I mean, I never I never imagined I'd be able to be full-time. I mean, I'm working full-time as a writer right now. Like, yeah. it's such a the dream. dream. <laughs> and I, I, I just didn't think that really happened. Or, or, you know, it just didn't feel like, an, I would never have said that's what I wanted to be because that was just, like, so unachievable. Um, and and there's, there have been, there's definitely been moments where it's like, gone from you know things have really shifted like real change moments like the moment you know the moment getting the book deal um and the moment you know when it's sold in the u.s and kind of all of these there are these sort of moments that just feel like i I just can't believe it's like you know like when somebody's won the x-factor like their face (laughs) (laughs) that's what those moments felt like but then they kind of built up and now it's sort of almost feels feels normal and like my my boyfriend's always reminding me that I move the goalposts like all the time like right, yeah. Yeah. you know I'll stop noticing like you know I'll I'll stop thinking yeah it's sold in 30 countries that is more than I could ever ever have dreamed of you know I'll start myself thinking like oh but what about a textbook will I be able to sell that in any other country yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely like human nature <laughs> Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it is definitely, an, it's not an unusual career as such, but it's one that's difficult to get into sometimes. Then when you do, you're saying like, wow, I'm here, I've got this book that people are having their hands and they're talking about and they're liking, you know. The sort of the what next must be quite like a... <laughs> exactly, it's, it's terrible. Like, you want to be able to be in that moment because you're literally living your dream. Mm. And, like, you're just, your brain just does this annoying thing of being like, oh, but... What if, what if you ruin it all? Like, oh, what if you're yeah. about to ruin it all right now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, speaking of sort of ways in which this book could grow, um, we, we know that um, Carrie Hope Fletcher, um, who we actually spoke about and saw in the musical Heathers, which we absolutely loved. Yeah, so good. She actually plays oh. Tiffy on the audiobook. Um, she is, yeah, she's an amazing Tiffy. Yeah, and we're sort of like, you know, thinking about now the audiobook format and you have an actress playing Tiffy, uh, which who is so great, you know, what would you think about it becoming like maybe a TV show of some kind? And if it did, like, do you have any ideas of who you'd want to play the characters? Um, so TV rights have been sold, which is very, wow. very exciting. Oh, that's very, very exciting. exciting. Yeah. We had no yeah. idea. No, we didn't know that. <laughs> you know, like, there's, there's, yeah, there's stuff sort of going on, but I'm not, um, I'm not really, uh, like, well, I'm, they, they very, like, wisely keep me a little bit out of the loop. Right. Yeah. Like, everyone, all the secrets. <laughs> I totally would if they told me them. Um, but yeah, so so that is definitely on the cards. Um, wow. But yeah, in terms of like who I imagine as the characters, I don't really like. I know some writers do that. They will have like you know particular celebrities that yeah. they like see when they imagine the characters. And I'm not very visual like that. Like I have, I feel like I have a really strong sense of who each of them are in in terms of like I will still now like go around and be like oh Tiffy would love that dress or like mm. oh Leon would find this really bizarre or whatever but in terms of like their faces they don't really have faces to me oh. that's strange 
Fair enough. So I suppose maybe they might show you some actors that they have shortlisted and you might be like, oh, they're very Tiffy and Leon, Michael. That's the kind yeah, maybe. Yeah. And I guess it would probably be like, you know, when you've read, like, and I'm, I'm, as a reader, I'm like that as well. Like, I don't, I don't have a really strong sort of, like, visual of what the character looks like mm. until I've seen them in the TV show and then I'm like, then they just look like that in my head. So maybe it would be like that. Yeah, I definitely think like um, Tiffy had a you know her very strong sense of style. Like what you're saying mm. about like um you know pick, seeing dresses and, and thinking of her, and like the description of like the things that she brought to the flat, like her blanket on the yeah. bed and everything. Like I feel like that all was all a big part of her character in a way that I just really enjoyed. Like yeah, yeah so maybe that's the key, isn't it, in creating these characters on the television? Yeah, television? on the TV. The t- <laughs> television is uh, <laughs> is to have them have the right characteristics and right personality traits rather than the right. physical appearances and actually kind of on that note um, obviously this is a pop culture podcast when we we talk about like a variety of stuff as as well as books we always talk about like TV and Mm -hmm. film and theatre and and I think we always have a focus when possible on like female led stories and we wondered if uh, you had any like recommendations like any favourite books that you've read recently or like something you've seen at the cinema that you'd like like to recommend to both us and our listeners oh good question Um, I've just finished reading um Claire McIntosh's latest book which is called After the End mm. um, and it's out in June I think right. and it just totally blew me away it's amazing it's it's kind of so it's a story about I don't want to give too much away but it's a story about two people who have to make a so they're a couple and they have to make a really difficult decision about their child okay. and they don't agree um and it's told sort of alternate it's, it's very cleverly constructed um and it's so moving, but it's also really gripping. You know, like when you, normally if something's kind of emotional, you're not. It's not the sort of book that you would be like, okay, I'm just going to read like, two, you know, two more pages whilst I brush my teeth or whatever. Yeah. But I, I had that feeling about the book, even though it was making me sort of feel very emotional. Like I, I was totally gripped by it at the same time. So I would definitely, I definitely recommend that one in June. Oh, brilliant! Um, I think it's always really interesting to have authors recommend books because, I mean you know you guys write but you also read and I feel like it's such a bound up world that it's really interesting to see what kind of stuff a author is interested in reading in but speaking of sort of again back to you know you're an author working full-time now I have you got any ideas for what you're going to work on next or something that a project that you are going to now be able to spend more time with yeah so I'm actually I'm kind of in the well I'm in the editing stage on my second book at the moment Ooh. um which is really amazing, and it's slightly bizarre because I'm spending obviously all my time talking about the flash air, but yeah. like my, my head is like in like a whole other universe of like a, a different story. Um, but yeah, I'm really really excited about that. It's um it's about a a grandmother and a granddaughter who essentially switch lives for two months. So the grandmother moves down to London um, and kind of tries the dating scene, and uh, the young woman goes up to uh, rural Yorkshire. Oh um, wow! That, that's just so, like I just think that sounds incredible. Yeah, but Jessica's yeah. just like wow. I can totally imagine oh, like yay. reading that. Yeah, it sounds so good. It's like kind of like Freaky Friday, but without the body swapping and not mum and daughter, yeah. but grandma and granddaughter. Yeah, it sounds fun. And especially because you get to really play in the trope of I mean, not the old, not the old lady on the dating scene, but you know, dating as an older woman. I think could be a place of like some real laughs and also some real yeah. like uh, introspective also, stuff. I hope it still has that kind of um, mix of the serious and the comic that yeah. you get in the flash air. Again, that just sort of happened. Um, like, all this sort of serious stuff came into the novel as, as I was going. Um, but I hope that it sort of, yeah, has that same mix, that you get that sort of uplifting feeling because there's, yeah, there's some, some dark 
Oh, brilliant. Well, we'll really, well, yeah, we're well, looking forward to that, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, really oh, excited. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, um, especially thank in your evening thank you as well. so much. It's really, I'm really honoured to be invited on. So thank you so much, Beth, for speaking to us. We had a really lovely time chatting to her, as I think is probably very clear yeah. from the actual interview itself. Um, and to stay on the kind of same note that we left Beth with and asking, you know, what she's been enjoying and what things um, she would recommend to us and to uh, listeners. Um, Francesca, what kind of things have you been enjoying recently? So I've um, read a lot of books recently. I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of had a few trips planned and then that always gives you some good reading time, like on the plane and everything. Um, and I was actually inspired... Uh, by Madeline Midler, Madeline Midler, Madeline Miller, <laughs> Madeline Miller, yes, um, and her book recommendations to us in, in the last episode, um, and she name dropped um, several books, some of which were also shortlisted or longlisted for um, the Women's Prize, and others were just some of her favourites. And so when I was going and doing like my book haul before I went on holiday, I um, did go and consciously pick up some of those books. So one of them was The Pisces by Melissa Broder. Uh, which came out last year around a similar time to like mm. several other books that had like sort of similar. The Mermaid of Middle Hancock yeah. was a similar time. It was all mermaids last year. And yeah. wasn't there one called The Water Cure? As yes, well, which by I Louise O'Neill, I think. But yeah. don't quote me on that. So um, the Pisces is a book about a woman who has a relationship with a merman. Like when I say merman, as in like a man who is a mermaid, um, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and it's um. Obviously, an unusual premise. I think I described it to Helena as it's basically like the shape of water mm. meets crazy ex-girlfriend. Ah. So yeah. it's got, it's very funny. It's very kind of quick-witted, quite, you know, dark humour at times, but mostly very amusing and very real. But then it's also got, obviously got this element of kind of fantasy in the, the, this that she's got having this like quite unusual encounter. Um, but I just loved it like I can see why Madeline and obviously many other people have recommended it and Mm. raved about it and I know you said that some people have been like it's kind of mad and like there is definitely an element of that but I think it it's so well done in that it kind of challenges all your perceptions of um I guess just like the stereotypes around, around women and how women behave and how women behave in relationships and growing older and I don't know, it's just, it's very arresting and very well done, and I just think it it also handles that mermaid trope in a really good, effective way, like, sure. compared to The Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock, which we discussed in length, actually, and were both a bit disappointed with. Yeah, yeah. And The Mermaid was kind of this ethereal presence, whereas in this book, it's very clear that this person is... It's like an aerial-style mermaid. Yeah, and... But a man. Yeah, but also the rest of the book is so grounded in reality and I suppose our present day reality that it feels you just kind of accept it. Yeah. And I think the, um, the, the way in which it talks similarly to Cersei, I suppose the way at which it handles like female sexuality and female desire and is, is just really poignant and pointed mm-hmm. while also being quite fun. And like, it does have a sort of, yeah, a good balance between the frothy and yeah. the the more serious side. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, and then I also read An American Marriage by uh-huh. Tayari Jones. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, 
and her book is shortlisted for the Women's Prize as well, alongside Madeline. Who, I feel like I keep mentioning her, but you know Madeline, that we're obsessed with we this love list, you. So. Um, and that was a book that I remember when it came out, it was like heralded at some Oprah's book club pick, or it, or it was um, recently, and Barack Obama is like quoted on the front, which like, you know, it's a good sign for your book. Isn't yeah, it? Barack Obama's reading it. And the, the premise is that... Um, there's a this young happily married or seemingly happily married couple um in the US they live in um Atlanta or around that kind of area and they're both african american and then he is arrested um wrongly for a crime that he didn't commit and his wife knows that he didn't commit yeah. because she was with him at the time um and it's about the unraveling of their marriage and their connection in in the aftermath of this wrong imprisonment. Yes. Um, because he is then arrested and sentenced to 12 years in prison, and they're both really young at the time, they're like in their 20s. Um, but it's not a book about prison um, or about incarceration. It is a book about marriage and about relationships. Yeah. So she ends up, and this is not a spoiler because it's kind of obvious, but she ends up um, forming a connection with her childhood friend in his absence and then he comes back from prison and then it's about kind of how I suppose on a simple level you could say it was like about a love triangle between the three of them yeah but it feels much more nuanced than that because it's also dealing with issues of race and class and the American justice system and the inequality that underlines that and but but it's done in such a human way Mm -hmm. because it does concentrate on these three people and their experiences so I think the author is able to make some quite um, big points about um, you know large topics without well without kind of going into great detail about them and more just concentrating on how this would affect you as an individual and um, in the back of the book there was like those reading club book club and it said that she had said that she wanted to write a book which forced the reader to imagine how they would cope in that situation even if they ostensibly never thought they would be in that situation and I think she did a really good job of that because it did put me in that mindset and it's funny because actually a book that it reminded me of which in lots of ways it's nothing like but in in some senses it was was atonement so he's like wrongly imprisoned and then you know when they write letters to one another yeah and similarly in this book they write letters to one another and I think the the way that this like false accusation upheaves their lives and how they cope with it was sort of similar. Obviously, it was a, a very different setting, but I really enjoyed it. It was really good, and I uh, I could well, it would work really well as like a book club discussion book as well. Ooh, okay, um, so that was a great read. Um, and yeah, I feel like I read quite a lot of um, interesting books recently. I also read a Queenie. Um, oh yeah, which was around, really it? talked about. Um, that was an interesting one in terms of. I'm sure you'd have like opinions on this in terms of like how it was marketed. So it was the tagline was like it was Bridget Jones meets Americana. Okay. And the Bridget Jones comparison I thought was incredibly unhelpful because the only way in which it's like Bridget Jones is that she is a young woman who lives in London. Okay. That's sure. literally it. Like it's not a romance. It's not a romantic comedy. It is quite comedic a lot of the time, but it also is quite. Um, relatable I suppose well I don't know I suppose it's like things aren't always going well in her life um but there's some kind of like 
yeah, some quite dark undercurrents going on, none of which really happens in Bridget Jones. So I thought that was like one of those comparisons that I don't think was necessarily but doing they're, the book they're any doing justice. it to try and sort of draw in an audience that otherwise yeah. might not have been interested in it. Because it definitely it had a very pop culture y, very colourful graphic cover, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Um and it's you know, I think I suppose that 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 cover as well was very much like this is a fun book and in like lots of ways it is a fun book and I really enjoyed I really enjoyed it but it didn't have to be fun for like it yeah, to work it'd be, it'd be you know and yeah. I think the really um striking parts were the bits that were a bit more moving and um one thing I really liked is that she has um three close friends who she confides in and yeah I really liked um the way those women were portrayed and like her friendships with them as well mm-hmm. so yeah it was definitely a really good read and well deserving of the success uh, so yeah, lots of good books, um, which has been really fun. Like, it's always nice to like get some time to read. Yeah, isn't it? of course, isn't it? I think when well, you mentioned Atonement, um, that's lucky for me because I've been reading. I read a book called Everyone Brave Is Forgiven. Yeah, it's actually been out for a little while, and I I don't know what it was. I kept seeing it and thinking, I think I might like that. It's kind of like Atonement meets um, all the light we cannot see oh, yeah. meets um, Sweet Française. Right. Okay. So it's a World War Two love story slash, you know, horrors of war and recovery kind of book. Mm. So it's about Chris Cleave, who's written a whole bunch of different other stuff, and this particularly takes place in um, during the London bombing, the the Blitz, and then so two characters who are experiencing the Blitz, and two char- uh, one character who is out um, in uh, in the war on the front. And he starts in France, then moves to Malta, and is part of you know, experiences the siege and the fact that, you know, Allied forces are very much starved as part of the early stages of the, first, of the Second World War because Germany and their allies are so, you know, good at their job. And I kind of picked it up because I thought, well, it was compared to Atonement. It has this really nice blue cover yeah, with a couple on the front. And you're like, okay, so it's like Atonement. So it's definitely going to be a, a sad love story in it. Maybe a love triangle. Not sure. Um, so I kind of read it and I had read some reviews kind of saying they thought it wasn't as good as Chris Cleave's other work. Mm. which I kind of see, they said they thought the plot was a bit boring and the characters were a bit flat. And the plot was very um, classic. Like, I wasn't surprised by any of it, apart from for one thing that happened in the middle. Um, And then, but the characters themselves were, so you have a woman, Mary North, who's like an upper-class girl who joins various, like, at-home war support forces, like is an ambulance driver and a teacher... You have Alistair, who is like a higher class born guy mm-hmm. who goes and stands up for the war and becomes an officer. And then Tom, who's a lower class guy who works for the government and uh, he's friends with Alistair. They live in this garret together in central London. Um, and he essentially kind of very early in the book starts dating Mary and, you know, he wants to sort of make better the world and he and Mary get along because she wants to teach and she wants to, you know... And it's all done in the context of evacuation. So you have children going out to the countryside and those left behind, like uh, non-white children or disabled children, mm. they tend to be ignored in the evacuation order, according to this book, because they have nowhere to go. So it was kind of like issues of race and issues of class mixed up with like very descriptive and realistic aspects of what it would have been like to be part of the Blitz and part of war. A lot of like description of like the emotional impact of war. Yeah. Plus this like love triangle slash not story. And I, I wouldn't say it was like the best book ever. Like not like the way the Pisces or um, American Marriage seemed good. Mm. It's more the fact that I just really enjoyed it. I just like sped through it to about three days commuting. 
And I was like, you know what? I'm really enjoying myself. It's like a what? I, it's like a show I imagine the BBC would put on. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I really enjoyed that actually, and I had meant to read it for so long, and I'm glad that I did because I haven't been reading enough recently, and it was a nice easy read. I've started reading The Burning Chambers by Kate Moss, okay. who is that big author who wrote Labyrinth. And she's the person who organises the Women's Prize as well, so it's still a link. Of there. course it is! Oh my goodness, that was completely planned. <laughs> um, and yeah, I so I remember how The Burning Chambers is set in 16th century France during the time of the religious upheaval there, so the persecution of the Huguenots. And the... Um, um, that's essentially when the French government decided... The French Catholic French government decided that Huguenots, who are Protestants mm. in France, were essentially disturbers of the peace and traitors, and they decided to rob them out. So it's set during this time of real religious discord across France, as well as the turning of the medieval into the early modern age. So you have the printing press, um, particularly as one innovation, and the spread of knowledge and literature. It's a little bit too grounded in, like, you know, the spread of knowledge post-medieval. Ooh, it's so great. Like, I'm a medievalist and that is very problematic. But still, it's set during a time period that I recognise and I quite enjoy. Yeah. And it's essentially about... The the whole series is going to be a three-novel series set over 300 years, so 16th to 19th centuries, through um, following the wanderings of the Huguenots, I think. And there are migratory people. You know, the Huguenots end up scattered across the world, well, the European world and South Africa, because they're looking for a place to go after they after the kicked out of France in the, in the 16th century. And the story so far is kind of following this girl, Minou, who is, um, you know, she's a daughter of a bookseller, and things are starting to change around her as this French Inquisition is starting to take people away for not being Catholic enough. So her world is about to turn upside down. There's like a big family secret that she's having to sort of uncover. And there's also a good looking man who has like red hair who is like, oh my God, I saw her once and I love her, (laughs) etc. And so it seems like it's going to be a really like plot character heavy book. Mm. Um, And I've been really enjoying it so far. I mean, I think Kate Moss is a good writer. It's a bit sensationalist and a bit you know, your mum or your grandma has read all her novels kind of thing. Mm. But I actually am really enjoying it. I'm trying to de-intellectualise a bit because I feel like we read so many really important books and really, like, high-class ones that it's nice to sometimes take a break where you can just, like, not search for meaning all the time but just kind of, like, flick through and be like, yeah, this is great. Um, So, yeah, that's two books for me. And another thing I want to talk about is uh, a film that I saw recently. So I went to see it with this guy I'm seeing, Connor, and he said it was like... So it's called The Long Shot. You might have heard of it. It's on buses and things like that. It's kind of stopped being advertised so much now. But two weeks ago, it was everywhere. Yeah, it's funny, because when you told me that you went to see it, I was like, I've never heard of this film. But then... Buses and things, Just right? after, I was like, oh, actually, no, I've like seen quite a lot about yeah. it. Yeah. So it stars Charlize Theron as the American Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. And um, Seth Rogen as a journalist, a very liberal, anti-Republican journalist who is all about taking down the man and he hates capitalism and he hates Rupert Murdoch-style figures. Mm. So essentially the whole point of The Long Shot is that it's meant to be like a romantic comedy about two people who are unlikely to get together because it's Charlize Theron, who is very good-looking, and Seth Rogen, who is Seth Rogen. And Connor kind of went for it being like, oh yeah, so I like Seth Rogen's humour, I think it'll be a funny film, it's got good reviews, and I was like, yeah, okay, I'll go, why not? And um, it is not what it's advertised on the tin. It, they're drawing you in, it's very clever actually. The whole premise is, you think it's going to be a comedy where his flaws as like someone who you wouldn't envision seeing being with 
Charlize, Charlize Theron's character as somehow getting the girl, like Adam Sandler style. You know, Adam Sandler's always getting really hot women, and you're like, how? Actually, that is the premise, sure. Like, the kind of comedy in the beginning is that, oh, he's a bit kooky and accident thing. He falls down some stairs at one point. A lot of physical humour in the film because that's Seth Rogen's style of humour. Yeah. And Charlize Theron, but Charlize Theron is at first cast as like this really amazing Secretary of State who is beautiful and smart and like get any guy she wants. But then you start to get deeper and they immediately portray her as like a hardworking woman, right? But she has all these things that she does. Like she has a life you see her, like, trying to stay fit. You see her falling asleep in the bath because she's so tired from, like, working. And she has this real vulnerability to her from the beginning. So that immediately turned me on to thinking, right, so it's not going to be, like, classic stereotypes, hot woman, ugly man. It's actually, like, really humanising this Secretary of State figure. She is... You see her trying to balance her femininity with the president's masculine, hyper-masculinity to try and get what she wants. And it's really interesting. And then Seth Rogen's character is more thoughtfully put together than just he is a journalist who is ugly. You know, there's a lot. And then they could become friends and they start to see eye to eye on political issues and they develop this real rapport that becomes like a really sweet like love. And soon enough, the jokes about how like unlikely they are aren't really the point. The point is more that his political, you know, his political image as a journalist versus her, who ends up going for president, you know, that kind of thing. And it's also quite a lot about, you know, American politics and the role of republicanism versus liberalism. At one point, Seth Rogen's best friend turns out to be a Republican. And he's like, how dare you? And then his friend's like, well, I'm not the, I'm still the same person that you really care about and who cares about you, I'm just a Republican. And so it's really trying to address this growing divide in American society mm. through the medium of comedy. And I actually thought it was really really well put together the script was amazing very funny still very like witty humor the acting was fantastic Charlize Theron's character was so like thoughtfully portrayed and the um, music the soundtrack was also really 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 good mm. and I came out of it um having laughed a lot and enjoyed myself and I was just I just looked at Connor and I was like I just feel so like like happy I feel so um what's the word when it's you feel so uh um wholesome <laughs> I felt like that was just a wholesome, happy film about, you know, kind of love. Yeah. And I didn't expect it to be because it wasn't marketed that way. But uh, Connor did say to me that, you know, it's actually, uh, um, it was actually a project put together over a long time by Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. That they really wanted to put get this film made, but they had to work out what the schedules would be and really work on the script. So apparently yeah. it's, been a, 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 it's been a work in progress for a while. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I think it's really worth seeing. I definitely will watch it again. Like we both said, like, we'll watch that, we'll watch that again. You know, when we just have nothing else to do over an evening, we'll just watch it again. Um, also a good date night movie, I would say. Because yeah. it's not too, like, awkward to watch. Like, it's not too, like, so lovey-dovey and you're there being like, Arr. it's actually, like, very humorous. And there's one point where, like, they're completely high on, like, MDMA and they're like, woohoo! And it's, it's all really, really good. Lots of drugs also because it's Seth Rogen and he mm. is a big drug dude. So yeah, and oh, I think from that I'd like to talk about a couple of things I'm excited about. Have you seen the trailer for Ophelia? No, starring I Daisy Ridley. Even though, oh, no, wait, no, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really um, interesting. It is interesting because so actually our friend Nikki, she shared it on um, mm. our book club. Yeah, group. that's where I saw it. So that's where I saw it too. And at first, I just thought it was a period drama about someone who happened to be called Ophelia. Like, and then I was like, oh wait, no, they're like drawing a direct comparison here with 
Hamlet's Ophelia. And it's like a flipping of the story. Yeah, and they were clearly uh, referencing the pre-Raphaelite painting of her in her the water and her in the water and and it's a very arty trailer isn't it it's very kind of like rippling waters and like yeah um if it was very mary queen of scotsy I yeah think. i think you're right especially with the kind of feminist slant on the story because it, it definitely is it's definitely trying to say like she's more than just that woman who appears in pictures and in shakespeare just drowning herself for the love of a guy, essentially. Yeah, because I always have always thought that Ophelia is a really interesting character, and also always thought that like her, um, well, her her kind of downfall is not the word at all. Like her descent, that's it. Her into, descent, her descent into, I suppose, insanity, mm. or certainly in, into like an extremely bad mental health space that leads her to do what she does. Has I never felt like was fully realised by mm. Shakespeare. It's such a right. It feels like so rogue to like criticise Shakespeare. Yeah, fuck like, you, Shakespeare. <laughs> but no, you're right. She turns up in the show. She sorry, in the fun, play. Like, and, and then she, happy, and then quite... just having seemingly be driven mad by Hamlet's murder of somebody by or Hamlet's appearance. Yeah, and then it's just like woo, and you're like, oh, okay, so she's mad now. And like, she, I suppose. And I, I, again, obviously, it's a, it's like a play, and it's like they have to move the plot around, move the plot forward. Yeah. But it felt like, yeah, she's really upset because he's killed her father, which obviously seems quite very justifiable. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you don't see any anger or any like just um, madness. Yeah. It just literally goes from like undying love to madness, madness and or not only madness, like she's well, she's completely unable to express how she feels at that point. And she can only do it through her actions. So yeah, I think it's a really interesting concept. And Daisy Ridley is a great actress. I think it runs the risk of, of just falling by the wayside a bit. Because everybody knows the plot of Hamlet. And I think people are maybe mm. not... I don't know how interested people are in seeing... Yeah, and if it's not a rewrite... If it's not, I mean, It does need to be a rewrite. But if it's kind of just like... We watch Ophelia get essentially like used and betrayed as Hamlet's girlfriend and then fall into madness and then it's all very artfully done but she's still you know it's still the plot elements are the it's same, the same story, yeah. i'm a bit like i'm not re- i mean if they make ophelia more of an actress in her own story then i'd be interested in seeing it but i'm yet we're yet to know because we haven't seen it no i mean it definitely um drew in and drew us in didn't it in oh yeah trailer. i thought the trailer was really exciting actually. and i think oh that was to say our friends felt the same so yeah, I'm certainly intrigued. And I also think that, like, a film can get by a lot on just being very beautifully filmed and being very beautifully put together. And Call Me By Your Name. Well, yeah, and, and I think that can be quite interesting. Actually, on the note of Call Me By Your Name, um, the author of the book announced the name of the sequel. It's called Find Me. Um, oh, that's a pretty good name. I'm it's a lie. really beautiful cover as well, like, of just some what like Italian houses. I don't know. I was, like, immediately, like, into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's being released in the UK in October. Exciting. So interesting, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and also how it will interlink with the planned film sequel. You know, whether it will because the film sequel. I thought that what Luca. I mean, Luca. I mean, I've got a friend who actually works with Luca Guadagnino. Yeah, um, and says that he's a very changeable man. That's yeah. also true. But I think the plot of the film that I'm aware of is that the concept is it that Elio and Oliver are going to meet. It's going to be Ellie and Oliver meeting over the course of the next however long 
with the idea that like they go on a trip together or something at yeah, some point, I think so. like five years after the book, the film, the film yeah. ends. So it's more of a Elio and Oliver sort of like their lives together that were part over the next however long. Yeah, and I think the implication wasn't it was that film was going to be released within like probably the next like five years. Mm. So it wasn't. Whereas that sounds like. Well, actually, I suppose we don't really know. Except for the fact that it says that Oliver's sons have grown. That makes it sound like more years have passed. But on the other hand, the father is clearly still quite young and going around mm. Italy. So it's, it's a bit unclear from that synopsis how long... I suppose also that, you know, Luca Guagagnino and Andrea Asiman could kind of arguably say that Luca is going off with his own interpretation of the story of these two people. True. Well, Andrea Asiman may have created them, but he will have signed over the film rights to Luca Guadagnino. So, arguably, you kind of say that they, they will, they, if they diverge and tell different stories, that's kind of okay. They, they might not exist within the same universe anymore. Yeah, I think that's true. And it's interesting because I remember when... Oh, there was, like... You know when there's just, like, a bunch of news stories about, like, the same thing in a slightly different way? And then when they announced that the that they were thinking of doing a sequel to the movie, um, there was, like, various news articles saying oh, Andrea Ackerman is not happy with this, like, he doesn't want it. And then he was like, actually, I'm very happy with it. And I am writing a new book about Elia and Oliver. Here it is. Like, literally. <laughs> yeah. so, so roll with the punches, Andrea Ackerman. Yeah, yeah, do your so, thing. Who knows? Um, but anyway, that's exciting. And obviously, Call Me By Your Name, um, our podcast on that movie remains our most popular episode. Yes, so, and I can't remember for the life of me what we said. No, and I, I'm sure if we were to go back to listen to it, we would cringe because mm. we saw the film before it was remotely successful Popular, yeah so we were all like oh it like stars some like unknown actor like timothy, timothy blah, 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 Chalamet. <laughs> whereas like obviously now he's like the superstar so yeah absolutely um but yeah anyway that's that's exciting i think so and i think of things that are exciting where there's loads of stuff coming out i mean there's that spanish princess show that i told you oh, about I adverts for that and it's yeah. really interesting how it I don't know, it's interesting how it's adverts all over the tube. Yeah, well, that, that show's all about um, Catherine of Aragon, her early years, which would be really interesting, because that's a bit up my street. There is Aladdin and the Lion King coming yeah. out. Um, uh, I'm going to go see John Wick 3, apparently, at some point soon. Apparently that's happening. And in terms of theatre, uh, I've yet to see Amelia, which I do really plan to do. Oh, you definitely should, And yeah. we're going to go maybe see a couple of shows at the Globe in the summer as well. Yeah. Some Shakespeare reinventions, which, are, I mean, I love... I mean, history plays no, but anything else, Shakespeare and I will watch. Yeah, and I mean, Amelia, I I raved about, I think I spoke about it on the you podcast did, yeah. at the time, and I, I really told everybody that they should go see it. I think it was, like, one of my highlights of last yeah, year. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, yeah, I really hope that it's doing well in the West End and getting the attention it deserves. It seems to be. Mm. Um, I think the show that I've seen recently that probably I felt similarly connected to and have similarly raved about a lot is Come From Away, uh, which I've already spoken to you about, but I'm going to speak to you about again. (laughs) Um, I just thought that was like a really incredibly well put together, thought provoking, uh, funny, romantic, like just life affirming musical. Mm -hmm. Um, Since I saw it, it's been incredibly successful. It's won Olivier's and you know, it was hugely successful in the US as well, yeah, so it's it no great surprise. But it still surprised me as a piece of theatre because it's quite unconventional in lots of ways, um, both in terms of plot. The plot is about um, a well, what happened after 9-11 when the US airspace was closed 
and planes had to divert and land in Gando in Newfoundland in Canada, which is this tiny little town that happens to have a really big airport because it's where planes used to land to refuel mm-hmm. um, before the advent of the jet age. So they planes were sent there partly for that reason, because there was an airport there, and partly because it was considered to be probably quite a safe place and not a target. So that's the premise. And uh, I actually have a friend who worked on the show. She's a, worked in um, the production side. And she said they were very keen to make sure that people were not just calling it, quote-unquote, the 9-11 musical, because that is not what it... I mean, it is about that. But not usually. But it's not... This is actually... They never even say what happened, because the show... They know that you know what happened. And instead it's about how this very large assortment of people from across the world came together and bonded and dealt with this crisis in terms of all the people arriving in Ganda and having to stay there for five days until the airspace opened again. Um, so you've got this cast of about 12 people, um, a huge array of ages, sizes, um, ethnicities. Like It's a very real cast of people compared to most West End shows, I think, or mm, Broadway shows too, yeah. which is very refreshing. A lot of older actors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they play the, char- the people on the plane on a variety of planes but they kind of concentrate on maybe like six characters in particular and then they also play the people in the town like the mayor a school teacher who like opens up the school um all different kinds of people and they switch characters instantaneously pretty much like they don't change their costumes you know they they will they'll change them briefly they'll put on a coat or take off their glasses or something they change accents and they have to do the very tricky Newfoundland accent and then they'll be English and then they'll be Egyptian and then they'll be American and like all these different um, traits that they'll pick up to differentiate the characters. It, it underlines that sense of human connection which is a big part of the story but also it just highlights how great the actors are. And then the music is very kind of um, folk um, orientated. Mm-hmm. It's so I assume that this is a well I think I looked it up after it's obviously linked to the Newfoundland heritage of being like kind of Celtic roots yeah so it's very like kind of Irish Scottish sort of um, and in lots of ways it's maybe a bit like if you were to rock up in like the highlands of Scotland and suddenly live there for a week and how you would cope like it's obviously got very similar um, sorts of values I guess as a place um, but they're the people obviously so welcoming and then there's like lovely moments of like yeah people forming lifelong bonds but on the other hand you also have people dealing with like how do they cope with this like terrible thing that's happened that changed the world and also in some cases people formed these like really lovely bonds out of what was a really horrendous thing to happen and like how do they kind of come to terms with that and all of that is handled in the musical which is also just incredibly gripping and entertaining the whole way through. There's no interval. It's like, I think it's maybe like an hour and a half with no interval from what I remember. Um, But the whole way through, everyone seemed to be at the edge of their seats and it got a standing ovation. And I feel like a lot of things get standing ovations now to the point where it's kind of like awkward if you don't give it a standing ovation. But this was one where I felt like people were really impassioned in the audience um, and I, I really was and I've like just talked about it to so many people everyone I know who's seen it has felt the same um, just a really powerful piece of theatre and just really great um, yeah really really enjoyed it so that was definitely like a highlight of something I've seen in 2018 2019 um, 
But yeah, I think there's there's a lot of, as usual, we're lucky being in London, we have these things on our doorstep. Mm, except um, we can't go see Moulin Rouge on Broadway. Well, that's true. But yeah, I think when we well, we set out to just have a quick chat, we've had a real in-depth like go over all these things we've been loving, which is great. But uh, I think we've kind of, we can... Like, I think we should stop now. We can finish it at that. <laughs> Do you think? I think so, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, There's so many things to look forward to, and of course we will be here uh, talking slash being mean about them if we feel like it. But it happens right we've as had, well. Yeah, we've had a lot of things that we've liked recently, and it was quite funny. Oh yeah, I saw a friend at the weekend, and she was like, oh, I saw this film. Um, have you seen it? Outdoor King. And I was like, buy this one. <laughs> we love that film. And she was like, what? And I was like, it was not that you were... the highlight of the film Yeah, don't you remember um, By These Swans? How do you not like, remember yeah, that? an odd film. And I was like, yes, yes. Mm. Yeah. But yes, with all of that said, if there's anything that you want to comment on that we discussed this time, um, you can tweet us at RealLLW. You can follow us and tag us in things in Instagram, which is at Love's Labours Watched. No uh, punctuation. And we also have a Gmail, which I'm currently locked out of, which is Love's Labours Watched. Who knows what's in that? No punctuation. All lower crazy. Yeah, Francesca's Francesca's checking it. It's okay. I just keep remembering it's on my iOS, Mac iOS um, email. I keep seeing like login and I'm like, I don't remember the password. Absolutely fine. Um, and of course, we are bi-monthly in so far as we can manage it. So please look out for the next episode in two weeks or thereabouts. But thank you so much for listening. Right, Flan? Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, like, that's like how I answer, like how I end like a It's been great. Call. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> um, and we'll talk, we'll see, it's not see you, but we will engage with you guys next time. Yeah, we will engage soon. Okay. <laughs> Let's disengage now. <laughs> Bye. Bye.